Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015. It's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and apologies to all of you listeners out there for uh, for the two week hiatus. Uh, some life stuff and some summer stuff came in the way, but now we're uh, we're approaching September here, and there's a lot of fun stuff on the agenda for the PDO Cast. We're gonna get you ready for the upcoming season with the uh, the annual top ten positional series, and we're gonna do the watchability rankings and all that good stuff. But for now. Um, we're still in August, which allows us some flexibility and freedom to kind of talk about more wide ranging um, macro topics as opposed to just kind of focusing on the actual minutia of, of games themselves and player performance. And that brings me to our guest today. Um, it's someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a while now because I feel like uh you know, I don't. I don't want his head to get too big after this. This is this uh, beautiful intro I'm giving him. But it, it's someone whose expertise and line of work is a bit different from the guests we typically have on this show. So hopefully, we'll be able to get into some fun conversation and some good back and forths about the game and where we're at and all that good stuff. And without further ado, uh, today's guest is Jason Rowe. Jason, what's going on, man? Hey, Dimitri, thanks for having me on. And I don't know, my head kind of did grow a little bit more. So thanks for that. Yeah, that was a. Uh, I usually, you know, I usually start these shows with. The uh, the succinct hello uh, and an introduction and then all of a sudden I just say the the guest's name and we get right into it and I've had a few people um, kind of complain maybe that don't follow hockey as closely as others that don't know who the guest is or what they do or sort of what their resume entails so um, you know for those people let's uh, let's discuss a bit where kind of what got you to this path and um, is it, you did nine years with the Sharks I believe is that correct yes. Yeah, so I was uh, with the San Jose Sharks in the you know scouting role for the um, on the Eastern Conference mainly on the pro side uh, for nine years previously, um, and then the last two years I got into coaching. Uh, last year I was at you know NCAA school um, coaching a men's program, Southern New Hampshire University, and then this year I accepted a position as assistant uh, women's coach in Morrisville State College in Morrisville, New York. So um, kind of really. 
a bigger blanket, I guess, going from, you know, different avenues all around and, uh, you know, going get into the coaching from the scouting and at the university level, it's, it's exciting because I still get to go out and evaluate. I get to recruit. So I get to go out and talk to uh, these, you know, student athletes and, I can also get now I'm behind the bench and I can help these help these kids develop and, you know, kind of implement some of the things I see from when I was sitting in the press box. And now if the wrong player comes in or if it's not what I expected, it's my fault and I can't blame <laughs> anybody else. So um, I want to get and unpack all of that. Um, but before we do, it, I, you know, just I was thinking because. I feel like you've been in my life for a while now. We've been talking about hockey a bunch uh, privately in our spare time. But when when did we we first cross paths? I believe the it was the Vancouver Hockey Analytics Conference in like 2015 or 2016. I believe now, right? It's, it seems like ages ago at this point. Yeah, I mean that was it. It was uh, actually going out. I, I love going to those analytics conferences because it really just opened up my eyes to a whole different, not a different way, but new people and new visions of the game. And when I went to Vancouver and was kind of, you know, always quietly followed you on Twitter and I saw you were going to be there. Was, I, I had to make sure I reached out because I wanted to introduce myself to you just because I always, you know, get your head nice and big, but I always liked your <laughs> ideas and your writing and I was following your podcast at the time there too. So, well, yeah. And the reason why I did want to have you on the show is because I, I think, you know, you, and I think you'd say this yourself, you come from more of a traditional hockey background in terms of how you got into the game and, and sort of the path you've taken. But I do, in our in my conversations with you, one thing I have noticed is, you know, you have a willingness to embrace new concepts and learn and, and sort of acknowledging and embracing the fact that the game is changing quite a bit and there's certain adaptations that we can implement. And that's why I think it's so fascinating now that you have made that leap from the uh, from the scouting side to the coaching side. You actually have at least some sort of a say in terms of actually putting that stuff to practice as opposed to just being hypothetical stuff that we're writing blog posts about and talking about in the podcast. You can actually see, you know, how that translates onto the ice itself. Well, and that's the great part. I mean, I was just I was literally three nights ago. Um, I was watching the RIT conference. I didn't get a chance to go to it. It was my wedding anniversary. So I figured that was probably a, maybe a little more important. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm watching Ryan Stimson and his partner um, for the presentation. His name escapes me. But I was watching their presentation about, you know, just changing the passing angle and how much it changes the percentage. And I actually got out in touch with Ryan and just said talk to me a little more about this and it's interesting because there's so much out there that you can learn just so quickly like I learned just from listening to you and you know I look at the godfather with Rob Volman and that's kind of where I really started um into you know towards my end of my scouting career I was kind of building some models for predictors on AHL rookies uh you know and looking at teams that made the cup and what their minor league teams were doing for the three years prior to that into last year i was trying to see what a lot of translations were going to be where i'm saying all right what is the history of a player looking like and how can i expect him to come into um, my team for his freshman year and what could i project him to kind of you know how uh, you know give me for points mm -hmm. so it, it's kind of been interesting that i can read every all this work that you guys have put out and you know i'm i'm graduating now and i uh i'm just i'm not a math guy but i like to i like numbers when i played i love numbers and i just think you can learn a lot from 
keeping an open mind and just everybody's got something. It doesn't matter if you played in the league. It doesn't matter if you've never played. Somebody's got an idea, either if it's leadership wise, if it's why does this work? Like I, I, your entry uh, work to me, I, I think is invaluable. I've always been a huge fan of what you've done um, in that world. So, you know, it, it's just, it, it's nice to be able to now take that work, put it into you know, my own form and go with there and be able to translate it to the players. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're obviously referring to uh, the stuff I did with with data for defensemen, mostly yes. in the playoffs in terms of defending their own blue line with the zone entries against and also uh, the zone exits. And, and, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, last season you were running the the, 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 the and the penalty kill um, yes. with, with the New Hampshire men's team. Um were you able to, uh, you know, implement any of that stuff? Because I'm always curious, you know, there's a ton of um, sort of newer wave modern coaches in today's game and it's slowly transitioning that way. But at the same time, um, you know, there's still so much pushback to new concepts and trying to do different stuff just because, you know, especially once you have the skin in the game, um, it's you know if you do stuff status quo and it fails at least you're not going to take the personal blunt for it and all the blame for it but if you really stick your head out there and stick your neck out there and you really you know try something completely creative in you that's not really being done in other circles and it fails all of a sudden you're going to be kind of labeled as a pariah and and, and ostracized so I'm, I'm i'm very fascinated how that dynamic worked for you and whether you were able to actually key in on any of that sort of stuff yeah, you know, I tried. Um, my head coach was great last year. You know, he was real open, and the, the conversations with him were great. Uh, it was me more getting my feet wet early on, and I came in with all these ideas. I didn't want to, you know, first year first year coach. Um, I didn't really want to overstep my boundaries in a sense. Um, you know, I was just trying to learn, take in as much as I could. Um, and then we had our first assistant left at Christmas to go take a head job in Europe. So I actually got thrown into it um, in the second semester. And that's where I felt I had a little more of a base. And, you know, my head coach allowed me to do a little more. And I said, hey, this is this is what I'm thinking. What do you feel? You know, and he he, he was he was open to a lot of my suggestions. And I did I did like that. You know, I let the guys make the mistakes. You let the guys kind of, you, you give them a little more of an onus on it. And I, I was in a fortunate spot that, um, you know, I was able to kind of use some of my past knowledge and, you know, implement it in games, in real game situations. And hey, we had a great year last year, which was nice. So, yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because I just, there are so many, uh, you know, creative things you could do with that. And, and this year, spinning it forward, you're going to be running the power play, as you mentioned. And, and right. I feel like that is definitely one area where, you know, you could probably see more tangible results just based on the goals for numbers. And 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 there's so much room to grow there. And, you know, the passing angles are one thing. I think that something else Ryan Simpson's really been hammering home is this idea of, you know, setting up the office um, for your power play behind the net as opposed to the more traditional setup where you're just kind of bombing shots from the point and hoping that there's deflections and rebounds and, and whatnot. And I think that, you know, if I was going to give you one piece of advice moving forward for next season, it would be to really uh, hammer that home because I do think we, we've seen teams adopt that a bit more, but for the most right. part, it still isn't as widespread as the data suggests it really should be. Well, you know who did a heck of a job with it was the U.S. women in mm -hmm. the Olympics. Yeah. And that's at the end of the year last year, I had a chance right before playoffs. We were looking for some different options. And I'm watching the U.S. women. And I'm saying, my God, what are they doing here? Like it was 
and it was fun to watch. And then, you know, you see his work and you, you take a look at, you know, you look at, I think Dello's done some work as well on it. You, you start to see all this from behind the net. Now, I mean, I'm going to, uh, it's what I'm looking at doing for my power play and whatever it is, what it is. And you're going to watch it play probably once and everybody can see it. So it's not a big deal. It's all, but everybody knows when you do a one, three, one. So you just got to figure out how it's going to work. Um, but I do think looking at the data out there and the lack of teams implementing that type of a system, it's going to take teams to some time to adjust and it's just a different look and it's not the norm. And I think going back to what you're saying, I think that's the biggest part of the game that I'm interested in seeing. I want to, I like to see these new ideas and now like, you know, I'm a coach. So now I can actually bring it to my head coach and say, Hey, this isn't, you know, a typical one, you know, one, three, one, or this isn't your typical, you know, four check. Let's try something a little different. And last year I did with my PK um, in the neutral zone. I've had my strong side D stepping up hard at the red line to try to create an ice. And, you know, the, the F2 was tracking back through the middle and they had certain responsibilities. The toughest part of all of that, it wasn't having the guys understand it when I'm explaining to them and they could tell me the rules. It was actually when we got onto the ice because it was so different than, you know, just your normal, you know, uh, forecheck and the PK. It was actually getting them to execute it. And in that type of a forecheck, if one one piece didn't go, everything, it was an easy, it was your typical, they walked in and they could set up real easy. So it's more of getting the players to buy in when something a little different being taught is the is actually the inter- interesting part when you have the freedom to to do something i guess a little new age or a different look no for sure and then obviously the communication is, is part of that and also it's it's a lot easier for us as analysts to kind of sit back um from home and just go you know you got to give it time it's a process it's a longer sample size in the long mm-hmm. in the long haul this could really benefit you in terms of on ice results. But if you're running something different and then all of a sudden the first time, you know, if you have a player in a certain position and something bad, something deteriorates and maybe if he would have been in his original position, he would have been able to stop it all of a sudden, you know, players are just wired a certain way where they're going to look back at that and lament it. You know, I'm, I'm, I gave you the suggestion. I'm reading this, uh, this book about the Houston Astros called Astro world and Astro ball. Sorry. And, um, it's really fascinating just from the perspective of how, you know, their front office comes from a more analytical background, but they try to slowly but surely implement a lot of this stuff with their players, whether it was the defensive shifting and there was a lot of pushback to that or whether it was, you know, trying to lift the ball up more and hit more home runs as we're seeing uh, take place around the entire MLB now. So it's the communications part of it and also taking a bigger picture view and and that's why i hate when reporters go to the locker room and ask players themselves about you know oh have you have you checked out your course here or what do you think about this advanced that or that and obviously you know you get the regular eye roll as you can expect and and you get the headline of oh this player's anti-analytics and that's not what this is about at all it's it's more so uh whether it's you're making personnel decisions as as a gm or whether it's as a coach and you're trying to figure out your system i think that's where the value is as opposed to actually you know clogging your players brains with a bunch of numbers that they ultimately don't need to have as a reference right well even i was driving home from Morrisville here to New Hampshire the other day and going on a recruiting trip. 
And I'm listening to the Red Sox play uh, the race. And, you know, Tampa Bay's got this whole new pitching strategy if it's not one of their two or three starting pitchers they have left. You know, they're doing the opener. It goes, what, two innings maybe, uh, or inning and a third, and then they bring in another guy for four to five. You know, so they've got it. It's almost like they're, you know, they, they've kind of revolution, not revolutionized, but they, they're relooking at that pitching um, and how it's not just, well, you march your starter out for six innings and then you bring in a middle reliever, then your closers at the end of the game. Um, you know, and I was listening to the color guy I was going kind of nuts. He's saying, well, they're, they're, they're taking their, they're taking their time served away. And it's like, well, maybe they're actually just trying to, trying to win ball games with yep. a small payroll. Yeah. Like, God forbid you try to look at something a little different and try something different. It's worked out well for him from what I've seen. So I think since the, I saw the stat on Twitter the other day, since the day they implemented that, I think they have like a second best uh, earn run average in the entire AL or something like that. And and I know it's kind of weird looking at the box score. And if you're watching those games, you're it, it's still kind of tough to adjust to that. But the results are there. And I love the creativity, even if even if the results weren't there. I just I like the idea of pushing the envelope and thinking outside of the box a bit and. I guess that was, that was sort of the kind of the whole concept of Moneyball, and after the movie came right. out, maybe that 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 got lost a bit in in terms of the entertainment product. But it's you you have to try some of this creative stuff, and and I mean you can probably speak this better than I because you spend so much time um, in AHL circles and watching that product. But something that is a common critique of mine whenever I look into those numbers or or happen to watch some of those games, it's that I feel like teams aren't doing enough with those farm teams in terms of pushing the development and trying some of those new things there. I understand why an NHL team might be reluctant to, you know, try something completely out of the ordinary, um, especially if they're competing in the present. But I feel like the AHL or maybe at some different level of development, that's like a prime opportunity for you to try some of this new stuff. I don't know, try three forwards on the penalty kill, try being more aggressive just because we've done it a certain way and hockey doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it's going to be, you know, for the long haul. Right. Well, Hey, you know what? I mean, we, you don't have to look too far. Even looking something a little different was Toronto. Like when Kyle got there and you look at how they used Orlando, and how they use their ECHL team. Um, I'm a big fan of the ECHL. I think it's a great product, and especially now that it's, the, you know, every league's gotten a little younger. But Toronto, maybe four years ago, they really started loading up their ECHL team with, you know, some guys that you probably wouldn't, you know, you might grab on a PTO at some time. But they actually went out and they, they probably had, you know, 15 affiliate contracts maybe more down there and you look at guys now like i know mason marchman was down there um you know i don't have the rosters in front of me but they did a good job down there you know the echl used to be a place where you know back when fighting was still prevalent you, you would have the heavyweights you yeah. could go find a heavyweight there and you could find goalies recently it's not you know obviously the heavyweights are gone but you can still go down there and find goalies but i, I like this i like what toronto did there for a while because i think it gave they still had a winning environment in the AHL with young players and they had key veterans in the right roles, but then you have, you still have some of your prospects down in the ECHL playing a ton of hockey instead of at once a weekend or two times a week. And, you know, I think something even probably wasn't looked at as, you know, a different view or trying something creative 
it really was at the time just because ECHL wasn't used like that. I think now if you, you've gone through and looked at some rosters, you'd probably see some difference. I know Nashville's always done a pretty good job with using, um, having some affiliate guys down there. And, um, but yeah, I thought that was something little, but you know, AHL, you know, moving to that Pacific uh, division, you know, in San Jose, Anaheim, LA, we all moved our teams out West. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a little different in the sense of the travel schedules, but you know what the nice thing was, I'm sure, you know, everybody's got their pros and cons about it. I'm, you know, I'm sure the league doesn't love it, but now that you're getting more teams out there and I'm just spitballing there. However, three and threes are gone in that division. So like San Diego, San Jose stop. They don't play three and threes anymore. And as a scout early in my career, towards late Dirk Graham was big help for me he said he goes you try to stay away from a Sunday game as much as possible when it's a three and three now if you have to see a team you have to see a team but three and threes were such a you know they weren't really a great indicator a great game to evaluate outside of the mental aspect of the player because I know we've had some games when we were in Worcester, we go from Binghamton back to Worcester, you know, after playing in Portland on Friday night. And by the time you get back on Sunday and play three o'clock game after playing, you know, two on a Friday and Saturday night, it's tough. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, yeah, those those uh, those conditions are, are, are pretty trying. I know that, you know, I, I don't follow the AHL as closely as I probably should. I, just in terms of watching the actual product, I feel part of that is, uh, you know, they're, if you're not catching it in person, they're... Uh, uh, we make fun of the NHL TV a lot, but a, the AHL's uh, <laughs> AHL's affiliate for that is is uh, ten times worse. So it's it's you know watching grainy footage and it's like Zapruder film when you're trying to figure out where the players are and what's going on. It's, it's a complete mess. But the point is, during the 2012-2013 lockout in those first couple of months, while we were waiting for the NHL to come back on, um, I was going out here a lot in Abbotsford and watching the Abbotsford Heat, who were the uh, the Calgary Flames affiliate at the time, and. Yeah, it, it was just it was jarring seeing some of the teams that would come through where it was just, you know, there'd be certain teams that would have a bunch of young, interesting prospects that you could actually uh, glean something from and, and view their development and kind of try to figure out how that's going to project to the next level. Well, there were some teams that I just felt like weren't um, utilizing and optimizing all the resources at hand, because if you just looked up and down the roster, it was just, you know, a bunch of. It was just composed fully of AHL lifers who were already in their 30s, and I, I just I just wondered whether that was the best way to utilize your AHL team as a resource for, you know, as a farm team trying to grow talent and, and try to get guys, even if it's on the margins, we're going to be fourth liners or third pairing defensemen that can eventually come in and step into your everyday lineup and actually contribute. Well, that's... You know, you want to you wanna win, obviously, because right. right. that winning helps build the, you know, your win environment up top, but if you're not if you're not developing players, you know it's it's it doesn't help. If, if it's all you know if it, if it's all the veterans and you're winning with one rookie in the lineup or you're winning with one prospect in lineup, well, I guess your veterans are going to get paid and they're going to go and make a nice contract somewhere else. But it's always you can win and develop, um, and I, I think that's important. You know, I, I did a, I kind of went through and was looking at three-year histories of AHL teams of the cup finalists um, going from 15, 16, all the way back. I just pulled it up here. Uh, it was probably to 08, 09, you know, so a pretty good sample and looking at it and I pulled out who had played in the minor leagues, you know, who had played in the AHL and 
you know, vast majority of the teams had, you know, five or less, about five or less, three to five, six players that had played no AHL. And the rest of them had all had players playing in the AHL and developing down below. Now, every team that won the cup, they had a winning percentage of over 564, 565, except for Chicago in their backup year. And they beat the team in the finals with the lower winning percentage for three prior years. So if you had, let's say, so, you know, the year we lost in the Stanley Cup, San Jose, Pittsburgh had a 607 winning percentage in, in Wilkes-Barre, and we only had a 534. So you, you look at that and, you know, it's important to win because it obviously translates, but they also, we both, both teams had a lot of players that played down in the AHL. And that I think helps when you, you can have that type of a plus 500, um, winning percentage for that long of a period because it does translate to Stanley Cup, you know, success in a sense. Well, yeah, and you look at, yeah, the Penguins as a great example of that. You know, they have routinely been picking at the bottom of the draft because their NHL team has been very good and they've been winning a lot of games. So you got to kind of get creative and try to find guys um, through different means. And it's no surprise that, you know, for years there, we would always kind of lament and, 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 and critique the Penguins for especially under Ray Shiro, for not supporting Crosby and Malkin with, you know, useful wingers on the cheap and mm-hmm. supporting pieces. And then under this new iteration, when they won those back-to-back titles, it was a lot of the Connor Sheerys, the Brian Russ, the Jake Gensel, guys who did cut their teeth a bit at the AHL level and put up good numbers there and really produced. And I, I imagine, you know, that had a lot to do with their development and their success and their ability to move up to the next level and actually contribute with the Penguins. So I think... You know, they're a great example. There's there's countless others, I think. You know, right. the Leafs right now and what they've been doing with the Marlies, um, culminating in winning the Calder Cup this past year is is kind of the best, most recent example. And I'd be curious to see uh, who is going to be the next team to kind of adopt that mantle. This, this Toronto team really is going to be fun to watch. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's the hockey mecca, you know, it's all the media attention, but what they've been doing for the last few years and now getting Tavares, like it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to watch because of what they've done with the Marlies. And now, you know, these guys are all graduating and before anybody really needs to get paid um, before too long here, it's going to be, I'm really curious to watch them this year. Uh, just for that same reason, Jason. F- the good news is finally someone will talk about the the Toronto Maple Leafs. I mean, uh, finally they'll get some coverage. It's sad for them. Yeah, yeah finally. <laughs> yeah, well, it's good, it's good thing do? John Tavares games that we finally watch some of their games and talk about them. Right, <laughs> Well, at least you get to watch them early in the in the day before you know before you get your West Coast games it's going. It's true. Yeah. No, it's it's a good point. Um, all right, we're gonna take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we're gonna pick this conversation up on other things so there's a uh, numerous other things that i really want to pick your brain about let's take a minute to talk about today's sponsor of the hockey pdo cast SeatGeek. it feels kind of crazy to say this considering it feels like just yesterday that the washington capitals were finally triumphantly lifting the stanley cup and alex ovechkin was seemingly drinking everything uh, that crossed his path but hockey season is almost here yet again um you know now that it's the end of august training camps are about to the start very relatively shortly the preseason's on its way and i believe the regular season openers are you know a mere five weeks away so now is as good a time as any to re-familiarize yourself with SeatGeek. um SeatGeek's the easiest smartest way to get tickets to every game all season long whether you're searching for a last minute deal 
planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift for someone in your life, SeatGeek's going to help you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek's going to help you get closer to action for a great value. Uh, the best thing about SeatGeek, and my favorite thing about it, is just how simple it makes the entire process. It really kind of cuts out all the fluff and all the extra stuff that is time-consuming and stressful and does all the heavy lifting for you. It scours the web, um, finds all the tickets that are available for any event you're, you might be happening to look for, um, and then illustrates it for you in a really easy-to-use color-coded map so that you can figure out where you want to sit and what the best values are and how much you're going to pay. And in just a couple taps, um, you can check out and you're good to go and you're going to be on your way to your event. And the best part is um, if you download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today, SeatGeek's actually going to give you $20 off your first purchase just because you're such a loyal PDOcast listener. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And before we get back to Jason Rowe and the Hockey PDOcast, I wanted to get a little sentimental here it's 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 bonkers that this is the 250th episode of this show and hopefully we'll be we will be fortunate enough to get to do at least 250 more in in the seasons to come but for that to happen um i'm gonna need to continue to see the support from you guys um it's been great so far and hopefully it continues and and certain ways you could do that are are really simple and really you know, will only take a couple minutes of your time whether it's going on itunes and leaving a positive rating and review for the show or you know following the pdo cast on twitter at pdo cast or you know sending in your questions at uh, hockeypdocast at gmail.com or on my own personal ones so that we can use them for future mailbag shows and help spark different ideas and different topics um you know all of that stuff is greatly appreciated and hopefully uh, you guys are going to turn out and support the show and with that said let's get back to jason bro Okay, um, here's something that I, I wanted to talk to you about. I was reading, uh, Justin Boren wrote uh, an interesting article on The Athletic a couple weeks ago now, I believe, and one of the points he was making was the concept of sort of the sneaky value you could have as an organization if you were able to um, detach yourself emotionally from the prospects you have in your pipeline when you realize the guy you drafted might not wind up developing into the impact player that you're hoping he'd be. And um, I thought you'd be the right guy to talk to about this because considering your extensive AHL track record and sort of what goes into that, because we know, uh, you know, with the endowment effect and, and, and all that, that teams have a really tough time doing. So when you draft a guy and he's in your system and he's your property, all of a sudden you just tend to kind of think about him in this kind of best case scenario where it's seemingly every prospect is going to hit their absolute ceiling. And obviously we know that it's not necessarily that way. And in reality, so if you are watching uh, a young player, uh, who's kind of going through those growing pains at the AHL level? Like, what are you, what are you looking for? Because I, I guess it's one thing to say that a player, a player who produces at the AHL level, is automatically going to translate and do well to NHL, and it's another to kind of look at a guy who's struggling and go, okay, well, I think we can completely write him off now for for X, Y, and Z reasons. Also, it's funny. I was reading that same article. I had it up on my computer because I wanted to talk to you about it, and it is. It, it's almost it, it's a scary thing, I guess. Like whole like with your prospects, you, you put so much time and money into these prospects that you want them to succeed. Um, so that was kind of what I was looking at towards the end of my you know scouting was what is 
what is there? What's the translator? What can you look for that is going to help you get to the next player? You know, to the next uh, level. So everybody kind of has a feeling when, like when Logan Couture came into league, everybody knew he was going to be um, a stud with what he was doing. A lot of it was age based, and I know we've done a ton of age based analytics, but. You know, a rookie, just because you're a rookie didn't mean anything. If you were a 24-year-old rookie, 25-year-old rookie, or, you know, 23 even, and you were only putting up about half a point a game as a, as a forward, that wasn't really great mark for you. If you were below right. that, it was, you know, you were, you were, you were, your percentages really dropped. And um, it's interesting, just I think age, and Corey Promen, I know, has done a lot of work on it. Um, I think that's kind of maybe where I got my idea to try to make something was age helps out a lot, but you, everybody hangs out the prospects because you're waiting. Cause you did draft the guy or you signed a guy for a reason and you're waiting to see that again, I guess. Um, you know, and sometimes there's just not the market. Like, uh, you know, you think about uh, when I was reading that article, it's, you know, if you want to trade player X, well, it might be too late because everybody else doesn't want player X unless you have to take on their bad prospect. That's not, that's not working. So, why don't you just hold on to the guy, you know, especially if your locker room's good and he's a good guy. And, you know, so there's a lot of different things that go on, but it's, yeah. Right. I mean, obviously if you're going to make a trade, it takes two to tango. You can't, if there isn't a party that's interested in, in your prospect, it's, you, you can't oh, force it, but it, it's, I mean, every team, I feel like every fan base has their iteration of the, you know, uh, kind of floundering prospect roster player and a second or a third round pick for like some other great player that's already in the league and already thriving. And, and those are always funny. Those, those, those most Bach proposals are always hilarious to see. But it's, I don't know, I, I'm very curious about it because, you know, you look at like the Senators, for example, um, I thought they did a really good job with how they moved off of a guy like Curtis Lazar and wound up getting a second round pick for him. And, and he's a player who had already you know, spend a bunch of time in the NHL level with very underwhelming results, but he came into the league with a, a high prospect pedigree. But then there's other guys, whether it's a Cody Cece or a Jared Cowan in the past, that for whatever reason, um, they've had a really tough time moving on from, even though all the statistical indicators suggested that they probably should. And I wonder maybe right. part of that, it just might have to do with defensemen because it just seems like even with all the information we do have right now, uh, that's the one area where we're really struggling to kind of quantify value and also figure out um, the developmental curve and the aging process and what when guys really are going to peak because there's still this widespread belief in, in hockey circles that defensemen don't really peak until they get into their late 20s, which you know we've disproven, but it still seems to be um, kind of the, the working um, angle that GMs are taking. Well, and you put it... Um, you know, it, well, how many has Cody played? He's played, let's see here. I got it right three here. He's played three, now, yeah. 366 games. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so I get, I get with the age, but you know, like, like that's why I kind of really started diving into the analytics was because yeah, Lazar, when I watched him, I'm saying, God, that guy is sexy. He should, he should be a player. It's that eye test. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's the eye test versus the, 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 the analytic or the, the numbers test, however you want to say it. And, how many? Like I can't even tell you how many players I've fallen in love with because I think they look great and they've got that hidden something that I think will translate. And but man, when you when you just run a simple look at their you know some type of numbers, you can do it for everybody um, depending on levels. Now that we're getting better better information, it, it makes it 
makes it easier, I guess, where you can dig a little deeper. But I think sometimes you're just saying, I love this guy. This guy's going to work and let's make it happen. Um, even though all the other indicators tell you no. So that's why it's nice to have some type of a process where you can be told no by something other than your eyes. Hmm. Like a model. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ev- everyone, everyone has those guys. I mean, it, it's, and that's one of the challenges, obviously, with just purely going based on, on the eye test. I feel like if I could, uh, you know, properly evaluate and watch every single player enough times, I'd feel very comfortable having a strong opinions, opinions about them, but it's really tough to do so as just one person. And then even if you do, your eyes really can deceive you sometimes. And maybe those one or two tools that you're seeing, whether it's a speed or a size or puck handling skills that you're wowed by, if they don't ultimately translate to on ice results, uh, whether it's individual or on a team basis, um, then it it only really takes you so far. Right. Uh, it's, it's funny, actually. I actually just wrote a paper on something like this about our decision making and, and judgments and our processes of everything's so biased. You know, we all have, even if we're not aware of it, we have our own biases, regardless of what they are, whether it is how they skate, where they're from, um, how tall they are, when they're born, you know, anything. We have these underlying biases that always cloud our judgment. So that's why it's nice to have something that can kind of strip that down and, you know, take, take, take the reports of the eye test, take, you know, the analytics, watch some video, you know, do the background homework just to make sure the characters right on the guy. Or do you feel well enough to bring it? So there's a lot of different pieces. And I feel like that's how that's overall what it should be in a sense that you should have a total package. And I mean, cause if, if, you know, you just go on strictly numbers, uh, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be in trouble. If you're going to just go strictly I, you're going to be in trouble. I think you have to have pieces. And that's something I think that gets lost when I see the Twitter wars happen on both sides at times. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with internet, <laughs> no, no, nuance is lost. Of course, there's an interplay between those two. And I think uh, anyone that says otherwise is, is fooling themselves. Um, what When when you were working as a, as a pro scout for the Sharks, what you mentioned some of those guys that you were, you'd be infatuated with watching them play. Well, it was What was the certain prototype or a certain type of player that you really found yourself constantly being drawn towards was it like the combination of of size and skill or was it what have you because for me it's um, on the record it's it's defensemen that can that can carry the puck themselves it's it's one of my biggest weaknesses and sometimes it's very easy I find myself overvaluing it a bit you know you watch a guy like Roman Yossi for example and it's you, you if you catch him on the right night you could really talk yourself into believing he's the best defenseman in the league. And then, you know, you look at the numbers and he's, he's a great player, but there is a bit of a difference between uh, him and some of the other tough guys and, and maybe some of the stuff he's doing great that pops off the page with that skating ability uh, is mitigated by certain other areas of his game. So, you know, you got to kind of bake that all into the, into the recipe. Uh, I think my biggest, uh, you know, kind of like the guys I would fall for were the guys that, had unfair biases against them, I guess, or, you know, you know, Russians, Mm. like Russians, people don't like Russians because they're Russian. And it's just, I I didn't, I never understood that. And I get that they can go home, but I also, it was almost like the underdog guy, I guess the guys that aren't supposed to make it that, you know, are are proving themselves that they can play at a certain level and maybe are boxed out. Um, You know, a lot of it was 
typically like sometimes you just try to force a fit into what the needs were of the big club at the time. Um, but yeah, I, cause I, I'm trying to think, I, I, I can remember a couple, you know, one defenseman prospect for the Rangers a couple years ago that went back and Tampa Bay had a guy that I absolutely loved and been you, following him in the KHL still. So are you, um, you know, this is obviously a, uh, a podcast so people don't have a visual. Are you wearing your Nikolai Goldobin? Uh, Sharks jersey right now? Or? <laughs> not, not, not today. No, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's you know, like it's it, it's interesting to watch. It, it's interesting to see because I think once you figure it out, because um, we even had this talk one day, you know, years ago when I was probably four years ago when I was with San Jose still, and uh, Doug asked everybody in the room, said, "What is your?" I guess weakness, your soft spot. And, you know, it was interesting to hear and it, it made you think because it, it, I think it just opens up your eyes and makes you aware of it when you're out on the road. And, you know, I'm, I do it now still when I'm recruiting, you know, what's, you know, what do I love and how the game is changed now. I'm, I'm like you, you know, last year we, we needed a puck moving D pretty hard um, for Southern New Hampshire. And that was kind of where I was really focused on. And if you could do exactly like you said, if you could, bring it up and, and bring it up with some pace and make some plays. Well, here we go. I'll overlook some other things. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, everyone's got their, uh, their certain prototype that they just find themselves drawn to. It's when you talk about market inefficiencies right now, and obviously teams have gotten smarter as time's gone on and, you know, we see it at the draft now and, you know, goalies aren't being taken super high players who don't, all contribute high high offensive totals and in major junior for example typically don't go as high as they used to in the past maybe a guy like barrett hayden is is, is uh, an anomaly there with with the arizona Cody's taking him as high as they did this year but it seems like teams are wising up to certain statistical indicators um acknowledging that you're never going to have it 100 percent right and it still isn't an exact science but you know you having the fortune of uh, working in the industry for nine years there, obviously you saw quite a bit of a changing of the guard and you were uh, in the game for that, uh, this kind of analytical revolution that we've seen at the NHL level. What do you still believe that some of those biases are still involved in terms of, you know, the smart teams will be able to get a leg up on a competition just by prioritizing certain skill sets or certain types of players that still are, overvalued or undervalued by other organizations yeah yes i do i just think that gap is shrinking Mm. um but i still think the smart teams and the teams that do it that do it well um or maybe not do it well but adapt the quickest and are willing to make you know kind of going back to where we were in the beginning are willing to make that mistake but are, are willing to kind of try a new process and look at something and, and adapt something quickly. I think that's where the leg up is. Cause I feel, I mean, you know, I, I don't know what every team does. I'm assuming every, or most teams do it and you, you read enough about it, but everybody does it to a different degree, a varying degree. And I, I think somebody that can adapt a model quickly can have a leg up. Uh, the unfortunate part is, is our game is so much different than every other game out there. You know, when I first started hearing all this analytics stuff, I, you know, I remember talking to some of the guys about soccer and I'm saying, what's the deal? And they're saying, you know, they kind of went through and I'm not a soccer fan and, but it's a slower game too. And the mm-hmm. passing, you know, everything's a little more drawn out, you know, basketball's basketball, baseball stationary and football's a three second sport. So our game is so different and we're still, 
I loved watching that war explosion go on. Uh, what was it last week? Because it is a catch-all number is nice, and I know I've made some with a catch-all number for certain players or certain groups of players. But you know, you still you still got to go back and do your homework and make sure it's just if you're willing to make the mistake is where you can get that leg up. Yes, no, definitely. I think, yeah, that uh, I've tried to uh, enjoy my summer and stay out of that debate um, <laughs> because I don't think there's uh, much progress being made or much, uh, you know, people don't typically, when they had their mind made up in some of these uh, online debates, it's, you know, you're, you don't want to hear the other side. You just want to yell into the wall and, and hope that the other side eventually comes on board. But it, it's, you're right. There's obviously flaws and, um, you know, there's certain... I think ultimately, though, I think it's a net positive, and I always find the argument that, you know, hockey analytics isn't what it was in the past because, you know, certain hockey minds have been poached from the internet and, and are working for teams now, and, you know, we're not evolving fast enough or, you know, progress isn't being made quickly enough is, I think, completely missing the point because if you look at where we are now with what we know and sort of some of the stuff out there, compared to where it was even five years ago um it's just leaps and bounds better and I, I i don't have any time for the argument that it's their contrary well it's just it's 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 crazy if you're so stuck in one side of an argument it, it's just you're not gonna you're not gonna learn the other side and why somebody it's just like any debate why won't you talk with somebody and figure out what they're thinking so you can maybe come to some other agreement and you know i like i told you you know a little big i went into a shell last year and kind of stayed away from the league for a bit and you know now that i'm coming back i'm starting to see these guys because I, I did start to see that i'm saying what are people talking about because i can still find information i want to find and read some pretty good stuff and then i started finding the newer the newer wave i guess you could call it you could say and that's what you need. Baseball went through it. I mean, there's still everybody. You always go through it because teams do get poached. It's just not as it's not as publicized, I guess. It's not as it's not like that summer of analytics where mm. everybody was on fire and, and, you know, everybody was getting poached. And then war on ice was gone. And, and oh, my God, what are we going to do? Well, there's still plenty of other good stuff. You know, I haven't I don't use those sites as much anymore just because my focus has changed. So I won't use I won't say who it was just in case it's gone. But um, there's so much good information out there and so many p good people still writing, still doing some great work. You just have to you just have to look to find it. It's and it's not hard. If you can Google the right words, you can find anything on the Internet. I, trust me. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I would, listen, whether it's, you know, Manny with all the work he's done with Corsica and his war model, mm -hmm. or whether it's the evolving wild guys who I'm hoping to have on soon to talk about this very topic and also deep dive Minnesota wild, or whether it's, you know, Dom and his work at the athletic with projections and game score and all that, like there's, you know, hockey analytics and analysis online is still in a great place and uh, if you're a fan who wants to think the game at a bit of a deeper level and wants to consider that stuff um i think this is a good time to do so and, and anyone that tells you otherwise is kind of afraid of some of the uh some of the changes and evolutions that are happening in, in, in this I, don't even, I don't even think it's a deeper level i think it's i don't know maybe it's kind of the the, the i don't know i'm growing a blank on the word but maybe it's the topic of all this is maybe it's just a different look for sure it's just to have a diff doesn't even have to be deeper it's just to try to maybe understanding the game a little differently because you, you look at baseball, like we said with Tampa Bay, 
they're changing something, so why are they doing it? It's maybe just a why and to figure out instead of just sitting back and watching a game. No, you're 100% right. When I, when I said yeah. deeper, as soon as I said it, yeah, I, I was like, that sounds so <laughs> condescending. I, I don't mean that in any way. It's it's definitely – listen, even if you don't have the answers and stuff, I just think that the act of itself of asking the questions and, and considering potential other avenues to improve your team and, and get more out of your players, I'm all for always, even if it leads to a dead end and you wind up having to kind of scratch that out of the equation and go back to the drawing board. Well, you, and, and that's, you guys have all been great. I mean, the amount of, the amount of, I mean, I say you guys, I put you in like, you know, all you analytic guys, whatever you want to call the, the group. The computer but boys. The computer, there you go. <laughs> I've got my T-shirt somewhere around here, uh, but it's you guys have all been great because every conference I've gone to, you know, Mike McCurdy, my God, I uh, the amount of information I used to sit there with his screen up. Yes, I paid the I paid the Patreon full amount, but I, I used to sit with his screen up because I wanted to see what information he had after games that I didn't see with with um, with my eyes and reports. But I, I met so many of you guys at these conferences and. To me, I almost felt like, well, you know, I shouldn't waste their time. And it's like, well, are you kidding me? You can learn so much from them. Why wouldn't you go introduce yourself? And that's how that's why I reached out to you when I when I saw you in Vancouver. And uh, it's because you can you just you can learn so much. And you guys are all so great to reach out to, whether it be on Twitter or uh, everybody's been so open and accessible to be able to ask questions about things. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that, Jason. And, you know, we're at the point of the show now where. We're complimenting each other. I think it's time to, uh, to, to end this episode. Um, so I guess, you know, I'm so used to the question at the end of the uh, of the show, asking people, you know, what they're working on and stuff. Obviously, for you, it's, uh, it's a bit of a different equation. But I know that sure. you're really excited about, um, you know, running the power play, as we were talking about with the women's team and, and sort of seeing where this whole coaching thing takes you. And I'm, I'm really fascinated to watch it from afar because, um, you know, some of the stuff we've talked about in this show and some of the stuff you and I have talked off the air, um, we need more, we need more minds actually, um, in the trenches, working, working with the teams that are trying to implement some of this stuff and seeing, uh, whether we can reap the rewards of it. I uh, maybe, maybe if I, if I put a championship team together, I can, invite, I'll get you out East for a party. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for taking the time to come chat, man. It was a lot of fun. Hey, thanks a lot, Dimitri. Appreciate it. All right. We'll have you on soon. The Hockey PDO cast with Dimitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. <laughs>